Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. Today on the podcast, I've got a patient and a healthcare professional. So it's really, really interesting because I'm going to listen to two perspectives, actually. So I've got with me Susie, who has recently reached out to me and has a very interesting story that we'll go through. So thanks, Susie, for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's really nice to be here. So you were very complimentary in your email to me, which is very nice, but that's not why I invited you to the podcast. I have all sorts of emails and some are not as complimentary, but that doesn't matter. I think the important thing is about listening to women, actually. And we've all got different journeys. We all have different backgrounds. We have different lives. We have different experiences, but we also have different healths as well. And I do, we'll tease this out, but I know from my own personal experience being a medical professional and a patient is just awful actually because you think you have more knowledge than you have and um, the first time when I was ill with sepsis after my first daughter I thought I knew everything and actually I didn't because I was ill Mm. and I needed someone to take control but the junior doctors were too scared because I was a doctor so then I got consultant-led care which they never wrote in the notes and there were all sorts of things that really quite scared me about being a patient because I don't think you get always the best care as a patient because people are a bit apprehensive so there's lots of things going on so if you wouldn't mind Susie just explaining because you're a gynecologist aren't you and so just explain a bit about what you do and then about how you became a patient if that's okay. That's fine so yes I'm a consultant obstetrician and gynecologist I've been doing it for um, 20 years this year actually and I, I love my job so I'm a general obstetrician and gynecologist so I do intrapartum care really is my specialty around kind of high risk pregnancies, but also managing risk, managing labour wards, etc. And on the gynaecology side, I'm a benign gynaecologist. And I'm really passionate about advocacy for women. And that's why I went mm. into the job. And one of the things I love about being a gynaecologist in particular is around informing women about their bodies so that they have the same amount of knowledge I have and then helping them to make the right choices. On the obstetric side, I run a birth options clinic or ran a birth options clinic that really was around supporting women's choice and personalisation. So in particular, women who want to birth outside guidelines, for example. So yeah, that's who I am professionally. Great. Yeah. And so important. I think being an advocate for our patients is really important actually and I don't know about you but I didn't really learn much about that as a medical school I had some great training actually with um quite unusual then actually a psychiatrist that specialized in oncology and I always wanted to do oncology and cancer medicine mm-hmm. I I did a lot of training towards it and then changed my job really just for lifestyle and being married and everything else but he taught a lot about involving the patient right from the outset mm-hmm. and sharing any concerns and also not just the patient but anyone close to them as well and also knowing that there's not a rush in medicine you know there are some things don't get me wrong if someone was having a heart attack Mm -hmm. time is in the essence but a lot of things even more serious diagnoses like cancer we've got a bit of time to make sure we're really on board with our patients and we explore every concern 
and it might not be apparent initially. So I think being an advocate is a really important part of our job, isn't it? Yeah, and no, I agree. But it's also, I think, you know, I think I really hope that I provide really holistic care as well. So I'm a really massive believer in looking at the whole picture, but also thinking about advising women from the whole picture's perspective. You know, I'm a big advocate yes. of diet and lifestyle and kind of weaving that into my practice as well. So it's about yes. thinking about how we can help ourselves whilst also helping women to understand their bodies and the potential treatment options because often you know things will go hand in hand won't they where we'll need you know conventional medical treatment but actually that you know we all know that there are things that we can do to boost our own health Um, and I think particularly with women's health I think you know we have massive opportunities particularly through pregnancy but then you know as a life course to actually really pick up and be promoting optimal health for women and I really see my job as being a big part of that. And pregnancy is a massive time because I don't think there's any other time in a certainly a woman's life that she has that much involvement with healthcare mm. professionals, not just doctors, but also other healthcare professionals who can drip feed information, actually. And certainly when you're pregnant, you want the best outcomes for you and but also for your unborn baby as well. So it is if you can't get as healthy as you can or get as much knowledge then then it's really hard but to have months of time actually and even postpartum you've still got time most of us never go and see a healthcare professional at all do we and we want to avoid it so actually it's a really prime time to get as much information and like you say holistically is really important and certainly as a general practitioner it's really important that we're not just focusing on one symptom or one disease. It's looking more and, and preventative medicine has got to include holistic lifestyle education and information, hasn't it? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. So then moving forward, as I said at the beginning, you've been a patient, not one of my patients, I hasten to add, but what happened for you to become a patient? Yeah, so um, it goes back a couple of years now. So I think um, I was reflecting on it this morning. I turned 40 in 2018 and just Oh, I was so happy to turn 40. I felt like I was in the prime of my life. I've got three children. I've got my consultant job that I absolutely loved. You know, and and we have to acknowledge the effects of, you know, having pregnancies and children and, you know, the effects on your career and, you know, stopping and starting. And I finally felt like I was in just such a great place. I was really fit. I was really healthy. And with hindsight, it was probably in the latter half of 2019 that I started becoming unwell, but didn't realise it. And obviously, beginning of 2020, we all know what happened in 2020. Mm. So the pandemic hit. And at the time, I was clinical director of women's services in the large teaching hospital in which I work. So changing and delivering the care that we needed to was just huge. Maternity care had to keep going throughout the pandemic. But we also had to completely change the way we worked. We had to make new guidelines. We had to work so hard. And we also had to really sadly and really awfully pause all of gynecology, which we had to deal with as well. So I think in the midst of that context where I was working all the time, which I really was, and was also had lost, as we all did, the normality of our lives at the beginning of the pandemic. So those things that help us to feel well you couldn't do anymore you know I used, to have, no. I used to have these fixed sessions where I would go to the gym on these two days a week and do what I did which I absolutely loved I loved going out to gigs I couldn't do that anymore and so in that context I was becoming more unwell but not really recognizing it and obviously mm. thought you know it was burnout I think there may have been a degree of that as well if, if being completely honest because trying to work at that level in the NHS with that much pressure can be quite challenging by the autumn of 2020 my night sweats started 
So essentially I was getting fatigued, but without really recognizing it, still managing to do lots of exercise, still managing to work. And then my night sweat started. So it was at that point, interestingly, that I went first went to the GP probably in about the autumn. And really interestingly, everybody said that it was menopause. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the interesting thing about my story. I suppose. Mm. And mm. I remember saying, it's not, I know it's not menopause because I am a gynecologist, yes. but also I've breastfed three babies. And when you breastfeed, you have lower estrogen levels. So yes. I know what it's like to have lower. Was it a different sort of sweat? Though, yeah, it's completely different. It's so was different. It? It's so different to the sweats you get with menopause. It was just completely drenching they just come on out of the blue so you know they weren't every night obviously because they kind of start quite slowly mm-hmm. but I would be in a really deep sleep and I would wake up initially like as though a bowl of water had been thrown over me mm-hmm. I suppose towards the end it was like a bucket had been thrown over me but did you feel any warmth at all no or, no, no warmth like no and so no. I felt really strongly that actually if it had been menopause and I had that bad night sweats, I'd have other symptoms that were associated with low estrogen levels. So yes. I couldn't have night sweats that bad without having hot flushes as well, yes. for example. And it's interesting. I mean, some people, I had night sweats and never had a hot flush at all, but I did have other symptoms yeah, as well. Exactly. And I did feel this sort of warmth. But also when I woke up, I felt that I was then become more anxious. You know, very common, isn't it, in the early hours when your hormone levels are low. My sleep was very interrupted. I got quite a lot of muscle and joint pain. Exactly. I sort of these early morning symptoms were so I did have this sort of variation with the day. Mm. So there were little things that but the other thing is what's really interesting is that you as a woman felt that you know and we learn so much from our patients, don't we? And I think certainly in women's health issues, not just in menopause, but endometriosis mm. and PMS. Women actually often know, don't they, whether it's their hormones or not. I know that sounds a bit weird, but they do, don't they? They do. I think this is it. You know, women understand their bodies, I think, because of our hormonal fluctuations. We see it all the time. You know, I see it all the time in my gynae clinic. I see it with, with my pregnant patients as well. But actually, women know they know their bodies. We become quite attuned to them. Yes. And I, I knew as well that I had had no perimenopausal symptoms. Yes. None whatsoever. I'd felt completely well up until the point at which I was starting to get tired essentially mm. and then these night sweats started so yes initially the first set was done in terms of blood tests and they obviously came back completely normal and so, so we were kind of sort of all watch and wait because all my bloods were completely normal and then we did another set of blood tests and they were still completely normal and by this point actually I was just getting more and more unwell so I, it was it was the fatigue and I think if people haven't experienced fatigue you can't it's quite difficult to describe it actually it's just this absolute exhaustion I felt I literally felt exhausted to my bones (laughs) and I would wake up in the morning having had a full night's sleep and just I would want to cry because I was just so tired in the midst of it all I'd self-referred into um, the practitioner health program or practitioner health as it's now known which is for doctors with burnout mental health problems etc had been seeing just the most amazing woman through there who's a GP by background who I've been talking to a bit about this who was saying actually you need to go back I'm a bit worried about your physical health but also mm-hmm. recognized actually that I was becoming really unwell and kind of really advocated for me to go off sick right yeah which actually we know what doctors are like you know and we'll be completely honest you know I felt terrible about it I felt terrible about you know letting my patients down letting my colleagues down but actually went off sick around the Christmas which was around the second wave of COVID hitting and it was during that time that having that space made me realise just how unwell I was. And in that time, that's when I started getting other symptoms. So the other symptoms I started getting were abdominal pain and bloating, feeling sick most of the time, 
and just not being able to eat properly. So by the early part of the next year, I went back to the GP. Again, this is this COVID, so it was really difficult to get, you know, face-to-face appointments because that was the nature of it. But saw a really wonderful and amazing GP who did a battery of tests. You know, this poor doctor sitting with a doctor sitting in front of her going, yeah. you're genuinely a bit unwell. <laughs> and, you know, but at the same time, I was already active. I'd cycled there and it was quite a long way. And, yes. You know, it, it must have been quite difficult for her. It's hard, I think, treating doctors. Mm. But anyway, she did a battery of tests. And ultimately, what then ended up happening was it came back that, um, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, basically. Right. So that's a type of, well, if you just explain what it is, so some of the listeners might not know if that's okay. Exactly. So it's a type of blood cancer, essentially. And it came completely out of the blue. I think one of my interesting things to learn about was that I, I had obviously thought about it. I know that night sweats are a symptom of lymphoma. What I didn't realise was that you could have completely normal blood tests Yes. and still have lymphoma which was obviously you know my education yeah and that's really hard isn't it so I mean when I my first symptoms were fatigue and night sweats and I felt like I'd been drugged and it was just this most horrible but I did have these other subtle symptoms but I did a haematology job as part of my medical training and I worked with um, a haematologist who was an oncologist mm-hmm. and we did a lot of especially leukemia but some lymphoma patients came through the unit in Manchester as well and so I kept saying to my husband I think I've got lymphoma I absolutely do. And he said, oh, gosh, Louise, oh, come on, you've just got over pancreatitis, stop, you know, there can't be something else going on. And so I was convinced, but I knew that my blood test would be normal because I'd done enough training, if you see what I mean. And for those of you listening, obviously, blood tests for menopause and perimenopause are a waste of time usually. So we can't do it. So how do you know the difference? And and some of you might be listening thinking, oh my goodness me, have I got a lymphoma? Mm-hmm. And how do you know? And a lot of times with patients, we don't know. No. And I could be, have been right or wrong. You didn't know. And actually, often within the clinic, we will we'll give HRT. But if we're worried, then we would carry on with the referral to a haematologist and have investigations. And also night sweats often improve very quickly with oestrogen. Mm. So if, for example, someone had, you know, given you some HRT to try, it wouldn't have harmed the lymphoma. But also, if you were still having symptoms a few weeks later, then you would have known it definitely wasn't. So it's just to reassure people that listening, yes. I don't want everyone to then go to their GP who's no. had a night sweat to think that it could be. But And that's why, actually, no disrespect to gynecologists, I really feel like as general practitioners, we're in a really good place to help menopause because we're used to seeing people with unexplained symptoms or symptoms that could be due to other diseases. You know, how do we make sure that someone who's got brain fog memory problems and headaches doesn't have a brain tumor and palpitations doesn't have a you know difficult heart arrhythmia and that's what we have to do Um, but we're used to that so sorry to interrupt but I wanted to just reassure people no 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 no, absolutely (laughs) and I agree and I think I did have an unknown diagnosis at the time you know Mm. nobody knew what it was you know no I think people thought that it was likely to be a cancer diagnosis but I think we have to really be really clear about the fact that I was really unwell this wasn't like you know, I, I, I've been through menopausal symptoms now, which is why I'm here. But, you know, this is very different. And that kind of lassitude and just being so unwell, but also other symptoms that then start creeping in as well. Yes. But at the time, it was yeah. unknown. You know, it was query ovarian cancer, query bowel cancer, query lymphoma, query other, you know, there are other end things. You know, we did a battery of tests. And yes, I, in the end, I had an MRI scan. And that's where my lymphoma was 
picked up. So mm. I was diagnosed with something called follicular lymphoma, which is a low-grade lymphoma. Thankfully, it's very easily treated, which is great. Technically, it's incurable. So you're always in long-term remission, but actually the likelihood is that I will be in remission for a long time. And I, you know, you know, that's life for you. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the treatments is chemotherapy, isn't it? It is. And so interestingly, when I, so my haematologist, who's been amazing, we're talking about personalised care, has been brilliant. Mm. And he's so good at listening to me. And he really, really listened to me. He really empathised. But also based on my history and the scan findings, said very clearly, no, this is what I think it is. It had all started in my mesentery, which is this piece of tissue that kind of holds your bowel together. So that's why it was all hidden as well. I didn't have any mm. lymph nodes because it was all contained in my abdomen and pelvis. And interestingly, he kind of said to me at the time, look, I've seen this pattern before. Really interestingly, I've seen it in younger men. I was in my early 40s with a very similar lifestyle to you. Oh, interesting. Kind of talking about, about the impact of stress on disease, which I don't really understand. Talked a bit about, you know, I've seen these men with this particular pattern of follicular lymphoma. And, you know, you're going to be fine. You know, we're going to offer you chemotherapy. You know, it said to me at the time, you know, I've got these male patients that I've seen who've got back to their normal functionality. They're all running 10 kilometers a day. You're going to be great in a year, you know, very soon. And obviously recommended chemotherapy to me. And my instinct, again, because I'm a gynecologist and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have chemotherapy. I'm in my early 40s. This might affect my ovaries. <laughs> So interestingly, one of the first things I actually did, because I needed, I, you know, I was due to have a myrena coil change anyway, was going to get my myrena changed just in case I went through the menopause, just in case I needed that as part of my HRT, basically. So it's interesting because in my head, I knew it was a risk. But at the time, the quoted risk is about 4% mm. of going through it. So it's quite low, actually. I wonder how they get those levels, though, because it's very difficult to know because so many symptoms, especially even post chemo are attributed to chemo brain or and because there's no diagnostic criteria other than symptoms I think it's probably a lot higher I don't know what you think but I think it probably is I think so I mean subsequently I then read every paper I could because that's the kind of person I am and don't get me wrong I, I trust my hematologist absolutely implicitly he's been so brilliant at walking that line between treating me as both a doctor and a patient but he's also brilliant because he'll say this is what I recommend this is the evidence base but will also tell me the randomized control trial at which it's based mm. so that I understand where that's come from and I'm not yes. going to challenge him I'm not you know I trust him but it it's around that understanding but absolutely mm. I have done all the reading I think it's a lot higher than that absolutely mm. yeah so I went through I had six cycles of chemotherapy last summer yes. which finished yeah. probably about a year ago something like that and I was coming out the other side of it interestingly because my B symptoms have been so severe, I'd also, and interesting, I'd, the other things I had by this point were weight loss as well. So I was on very unwell. But interestingly, because for me, my lymphoma symptoms were quite predominated by night sweats. One of our concerns initially was, are we missing menopause as well, actually? Yeah. So my haematologist yeah. had done extra blood tests. And actually, my hormones, my ovarian profile, for what it's worth, was completely normal in the, you know, still whilst undergoing chemotherapy last year. And again, I didn't have any perimenopausal symptoms then. And I think, again, the interesting thing, and I think this is where we all have to appreciate that as doctors, we don't know everything, even when it's about ourselves, and we all make mistakes, mm. even when it's about ourselves, was around what I didn't realise was that my ovaries could stop working several months afterwards. <laughs> yes. I think I thought it was going to happen. It was going to happen at the time. Mm. I'm an optimist. And so I was kind of coming out of the other side of it, was starting to feel better. So my lymphoma symptoms had started picking up probably mid-chemotherapy. 
And then the cumulative effects of chemotherapy meant that the chemotherapy symptoms then started. And then probably by around the autumn of last year, that's when I started feeling quite a lot better. I'm starting to think about phasing back into work, although that needs to be different because I'm still being treated with a monoclonal antibody that Mm. suppresses my immune system. So I can't work clinically. So there's a lot going on. But overall, you know, I carried on exercising throughout the whole thing. I'd done loads of yoga. I'd worked a lot on acceptance and balance, you know, all of nutrition and diet and all of those things. And actually, I felt quite well. And then in probably about kind of September time, my first symptom was anxiety. Interesting. And I just started feeling really anxious and really anxious about little things, which just isn't me at all. I'm an obstetrician, you know, I deal with... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> for those lots of anxiety yes, exactly yes. I'm, you know I deal with adrenaline that's what I love you know mm. uh, so firstly anxiety then a little bit of hot flushes not huge actually mm. but I you know I was applying for new jobs at the time and kind of came off a couple of kind of pre-interview meetings teams meetings thinking mm. oh, I'm a bit hot yeah <laughs> and then interestingly woke up in the middle of the night one night with a night sweat but interestingly I just didn't think it was lymphoma I just knew it was menopause and it's because I was hot. <laughs> yes, isn't that interesting? It's a quite different experience to perform. Completely different experience. So I was mm. hot. And so I basically woke up fanning myself in that kind of fairly yes. typical, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that fairly typical kind of way. I was like fanning myself. Yes. And I was just like, I'm really hot. And I kind of sat on the side of the bed and thought, oh, my goodness, this is menopause. <laughs> I'm a gynecologist and I've only just realised it. But... I think the other thing about it is that, and this is where I think it's different for women who've been through chemotherapy, is it's not gradual. You don't go through the perimenopause. It hits you really hard. And that was it. I got hit really, really, really hard by it. So it kind of ramped up very quickly from kind of these mild symptoms to quite severe anxiety and insomnia. And I just couldn't sleep. So I went back the GP to say, and I have to point out, I was with a big conglomerate GP practice at the time which isn't necessarily set up for chronic disease. And I've changed since and I've got a really wonderful GP practice that I'm with now. So they said, well, no, because you've got night sweats again, you've got to go back to your hematologist. (laughs) Which is also this whole thing around, you know, this is, I suppose, what I want to say. This this is just about listening to patients, really. But I can can see why people are anxious about these things. Yeah, I went back to my hematologist who said, uh, I think it's menopause. (laughs) Your scans, we've just scanned you. You were completely fine. I said, no, I know. I was in remission. So I went back to the GP and said, no, you know, we're happy for me to have HRT. And essentially they weren't happy to prescribe it because they said that I needed to be counselled on the risks and because I'd already had one type of cancer. And this isn't obviously this is this is my story, but this is one of the reasons I've reached out to you is because actually this is fairly universal for women with blood cancers, actually. Yeah, and we see it a lot with all types of cancer, actually. So just to be clear, this we're not talking about breast cancer. We've talked about this with, in other podcasts, but there are so many other cancers mm. and people then seem to think that HRT is bad. And when I do training for healthcare professionals, because I was never taught any of this stuff at all, and actually I feel really embarrassed now saying to you that I worked for six months in a le- leukaemia and lymphoma unit and we didn't even ask them, we didn't give them any information, didn't tell them they could become menopausal anyway I can't go back but it's not on a lot of people's radars and so I often maybe it's very simplistic of me 
But I'll often, when I teach healthcare professionals, I'll say, would this lady have a type of cancer if she was young? And would part of that treatment be to remove her ovaries? Mm. So if you, as you know, you were menstruating when you had your lymphoma diagnosed, did any of the cancer specialists or hematologists ever offer your ovaries to be removed as part of your treatment? Well, of course not, Mm. because your own hormonal function, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, were not interfering with the cancer. And in fact, they were helping you to function. Mm. And we also know that estradiol and testosterone are actually very anti-inflammatory. And that's probably one of the reasons that women probably have less cancers actually when they're younger. Mm. And this is some really key work that we're doing with some really big team of people. So actually, then it makes it very easy. And then it's not just with cancers, actually, if someone has, you know, a clotting disorder, or if they have migraines or anything, I'll often say to medical students and nurses and doctors and pharmacists, well, would you advocate taking her ovaries out then? Mm -hmm. No. Why would you do that? Okay, well, then HRT is just replacing that. And also, you know, you're young. So it's important that you do have the replacement hormones, as we know, for many reasons for your future health. So in that way, I think it's almost easier to conceptualise, isn't it? But there's still this myth. And we see it sometimes in medicine when we're out of our comfort zone. And I'm sure you're very aware when we've got pregnant women and goodness only knows when pregnant women can still have other diseases and symptoms but it's very much when I was working on labour ward we'd often get phoned out oh this lady's got a migraine can she come into labour ward because she's 36 weeks pregnant no you can treat her migraines and and I think you you get clouded because people get scared absolutely and and we see this all the time yeah again we see this all the time as you said with pregnancy as well we see this all the time where actually we have these gender biases we've seen it with covid you know the data with covid shown yes pregnant women unfortunately had worse outcomes because people were scared to treat them with the appropriate medicines you know are safe just because they're pregnant you know we've seen the same around things like heart attacks in pregnancy etc and that's one of the reasons that you know again to reassure people this is getting it much better this is how we're just you know this is all about how we're improving medicine and improving our understanding you know on that side, we, you know, we've got these massive maternal medicine networks that are making a big difference. Yeah, I suppose kind of going back to the ovarian issue, which is exactly as you described, if I as a gynecologist took out women's ovaries, which sometimes I've had to, and I've had to remove both ovaries, I would give them HRT straight away. Mm, <laughs> and that would be our yes. practice. And I suppose I also understand the history of HRT. I was, I suppose I was at medical school in the late 90s when it was the wonder drug and I remember sitting in a lecture with the lecturer saying you have to tell your mothers to take it because it's the best thing ever and I was an obstetrician and gynecologist in the early noughties when those big studies came out Mm. but actually interestingly I was working in a menopause centre that was one of the big research centres for menopause where we were already saying actually we don't think this data is right you know we were drilling into it all the time that's kind of part of our teaching and so I suppose again kind of thinking about my own personalized care I completely understand that there are all sorts of ways you can treat menopause and there are all sorts of ways that women want to deal with it and everybody's individual but for me as a gynecologist I'd always looked at the risks and benefit profile of HRT I've looked at you know the risks of breast cancer associated with drinking or obesity and you know we can't modify all risk factors to prevent cancer as as I have found (laughs) because but you know I suppose I'd always I'd made a decision many years ago that I was going to have transdermal estrogen when I went through the menopause so for me it was just like well this is no different but also I didn't feel as though it was a gradual transition I didn't feel like it was traditional menopause I felt like as though somebody had taken my ovaries out 
it was mm. so sudden and having looked after women who've had their ovaries taken out I feel like I kind of knew what that was like and so for yes. me I felt that actually this was a hormone deficiency that I just needed replaced and if it had been mm. my thyroid gland there wouldn't have been a problem over it essentially yes. but it's, it's that fear isn't it there is that huge fear around HRT that had crept in 20 years ago that I think we're still just you know hopefully is starting to ebb away a bit now well only a bit unfortunately because it's 20 years earlier in July 2022 it's 20 years and the 9th of July was 20 years since the publication went out and we're still trying to reassure Mm -hmm. and I think it's a great way to end isn't it because the most important thing for me actually isn't the evidence it's about patient choice and it's about understanding and allowing women to make the decision when she's been given the right information she's had the right time she's not pressurized Mm. she's just deciding for herself and also knowing that any decision for treatment can change at any time everything we do is reversible in medicine well not everything but certainly prescribing HRT is definitely reversible having a baby is not reversible (laughs) Um, and I think knowing that we're there at every stage of the journey with our patients is really important so we can help with doubt we can help with uncertainty we can also reassure and educate those around them so it might be their relatives that are more scared Mm. than the actual patient so you know the experience you've had and very kindly have shared so openly Mm. so thanks Susie because that's I'm sure will help a lot of people so just before we finish Susie I'm going to throw three take-home tips on you and I'd really like you to try and help really answer three ways that you think Women could be more listened to by the healthcare professionals to have this united journey together. Absolutely. You know, I think the bottom line is is that we just have to listen. You know, it's about listening to people and understanding their experiences. And so I think the first thing is about listening. The second is about empathy. And what I have found on this journey is that actually my experiences of my menopausal symptoms actually in many ways were worse than many of the other symptoms that I'd had through other things. And as I said, I've got the advocacy to have got the treatment I needed, but not everybody else has. But despite that, actually, what I found dealing with people is that when you're unwell, you'll feel very, very vulnerable. And just empathy goes a really, really long way. And the other thing is just around personalization and choice. So kind of having that really solid understanding of what makes a difference to people and giving people a really open choice that's not kind of paternalistic. That actually, if this is the information I have, you make the right choice for you and for your life. Yeah, really sound because we're all individuals, aren't we? We choose every day what we're going to wear or Mm. how we're going to spend our day. And that needs to continue the conversations with health as well. So thank you so much for your time. And just to finally tell everyone that Susie's going to work with my team to produce more literature actually for women who've had cancer, but especially haematological cancers such as lymphomas to help educate them more. So thanks in advance for your help with this. And thanks for your time today. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, please visit my website balance-menopause.com or you can download the free Balance app which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play. Music